You know, it doesn't matter who else is in the house or who else isn't in the house. As long as the spirit of Jesus is in the house, is in the room. When he is in the house, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Runaways can be brought back home. Broken hearts can be healed. Where there's been no joy, the Lord can replenish and refurbish joy, joy. When you hadn't smiled in a long time because your heart's been broken, just the touch of his presence, just the sense of his presence is able to make all things new and all things well. I'm so glad to see you this morning. You just look real good on Sunday morning in the house of the Lord. And um, to all those of you who are a part of the Alamo City time together this morning, scattered literally around the world by way of our our streaming ministries. I, I don't understand how all that works, just like I don't understand how when I stick a, stick a key in that, in that Toyota with 202,000 miles and I turn the key that the thing works, it comes on and it works. I don't, I don't understand how it works, but I'm just glad it does. And so we don't know how it's getting out all over the place, all over creation as as it does by way of the internet, but we're grateful. And we want you to consider yourself a part of this family. If you're tuning in or you're sitting in this house, the family of Jesus is having a reunion this morning. We're in his presence and he is with us. Where two or three have been gathered together in my name, he said, there I will be in the middle of the circle. So he is here. And he's not just a set of rules, you know. He's not still a baby in Mary's lap. He's not still dying on the cross. He's not still wrapped in a shroud in a tomb in Jerusalem. Tomb's empty. Easter Sunday happened. He is alive. And he is in this room. Amen. Now, the Lord is saying to us, I believe, by his spirit, trust me, trust me, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's been said to you, no matter what's been emailed or texted to you, no matter who's walked out of your life or no matter what trouble has just walked into your life, the living Lord Jesus Christ who chose you to be his own before the earth was ever formed is saying, I believe if we could see him this morning, it wouldn't be with a scowl. It wouldn't be with a frown. It wouldn't be with pursed lips. It wouldn't be with a long index finger just aimed right at us. 
but life, with life in his eyes, with light on his face, with confidence and joy beaming, beaming forth from his countenance, he would be looking you and me right in the eye, and he'd be saying, trust me, trust me. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, I know where you are. I know what's happening. I know you, and I love you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And this morning, we turn another page in the thoughts along that line to, to, this, to this page. Trust me when you don't think you can go on. Trust me when you don't think you can go on. Now, that may be because of a medical condition that has been in place for a while, that has been intense in its impact and effects on your life, and you can wake up some mornings or find yourself in the middle of the day or trying to drift off to sleep at night and you can think to yourself, I, I don't think I can keep doing this. It may be a relationship. No, nobody can hurt us like the ones we love. Nobody can get under our skin. Nobody can convince us of a lie like those we really care about. And you live long enough on this planet with a street address on this earth, and it seems like eventually something comes along and you can begin to think, I don't want to go on like this. Sometimes it's a marriage. Sometimes it's a professional situation. You know, everybody has been promoted. Everybody's moved on out of the office and you're still stuck right there with that same computer screen. I don't know if I can keep doing this. There's some really, really, really great news this morning. And the great news is that the scripture tells us that there's never going to be anything that will touch us, that will affect us, that will tempt us or test us that the real living Lord Jesus Christ has not also tasted, has not also been through. Scripture will speak of him as the one who has been tempted or tested or tried in all things, just like we are tried and tested. The only difference is he was without any sin. He went through it. He faced it. 
but he never committed any sin. What, would this, what, what can the sin be in a time when you're going through a real testing? I mean, it's easy, it's easy to fall off the wagon when things are hard. Jesus never doubted his father's plan. He never doubted that he would make it through. He never doubted that the enemy would not win, but that the plan of God would be withheld and, and upheld. So wherever we are this morning, whatever we're going through, the heart of the Lord Jesus straight into our hearts, if we'll let it in, is the Lord saying, you trust me, even when you think you can't go on. I want to show you a couple of passages in your Bible this morning. I want you to, the first one is in the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the writer of probably two-thirds of your New Testament, <clears throat> in a human sense, the human author, inspired by the Spirit, yes, but the, the one God chose to write down two-thirds of the New Testament, the man by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul had these things to say. And he had these things to say about coming to a place in his own life where he didn't think he could go on. That he wanted to live, that he wanted to stay in this life. He starts out and look at verse uh, number 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforts us, present active tense, who is comforting us right now, who is comforting us in all our affliction all our troubles, all our sorrows, all our difficulties of any and every kind who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's something that the church, the Christian, has to give away. When God has comforted you, when God has encouraged you, when the Lord by his Spirit has lifted you up, then here's what's happened. God has deposited a substance inside your spirit. He has set something within you that now you have the capacity to give away. You know, you run into folks who around here who have been through situations with their heart or with, speaking of the, the physical heart or a cancer diagnosis or there's been some kind of an injury and they were told that there was a great likelihood they would never walk again or never raise their arms again or whatever it would be. And then you, you hear their story and you realize that a part of the Lord comforting them was the Lord just, the Lord just rolled up his sleeves and healed them. And the exact opposite of what doctors had forecast they are walking in right now in good health moving, thinking, freely, blessed with a, with a life out in front of them. Those are the ones when you get told you've been diagnosed with cancer 
or you've been diagnosed with a heart condition, or there's some injury that's happened to you, they're the ones you want to go to and say, would you tell me your story? And then would you mind just laying your hands on my head or on this part of my body that they're saying won't get well or probably won't get well? And would you, would you just pray for me that what the Lord did for you, he would do for me? The Lord has deposited an ability. He's deposited faith. He's deposited a real spiritual substance inside those of us who have been comforted by the Lord so that we can, we can comfort others with the same kind. That's, this is, that is exactly what Paul is saying right here. So look, if you've been blessed, if the Lord's comforted you, if he's healed you, if he's answered a cry of your heart, if he's restored a relationship, he's done something that seemed that there was, there was no hope that it would ever be reversed, and it, and it turned around and you know it was God, then listen. You've been given something that God gave to you so you could give away. It's not to be set on a shelf. It's not to be locked in a closet. Oh, that's my story, and that's just between me and God. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's between you and God and the ones he brings into your path who need the same kind of comfort that you have. So give it away. Give it. Don't be selfish or stingy about the comfort that the Lord has blessed you with. That's why he's given it to us, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Hallelujah. Now, you know, it didn't ever say it's going to be easy walking with the Lord in a, in a world that's being led by the devil, basically, and culture being, being driven by whatever impulses seem to be dominating the most powerful, influential people around us. It doesn't say that it's going to be easy. It doesn't say that we'll be absent of afflictions, but the promise is there will always be more grace than there will be sin. There'll always be more comfort than there will be affliction. And we hold on to that, and we live for that, and we rejoice in that. But then look down here at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, I want you to look at that. I want you to look at every eye that's got a Bible. If you see it up here on the, I want you to look at that. The writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, the apostle Paul himself, admits, declares, isn't trying to cover it up or hide it, but he himself is saying things got so tough, they were so intense, they went on for so long, they affected me physically and emotionally so significantly that I didn't even know that I wanted to live anymore. And every time the word suicide comes up, every time we hear about someone who 
is battling with that level of depression, or you yourself have known those seasons, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know if I even want to take this anymore. Listen, instead of us acting like that is the unpardonable sin, am I in here by myself? Instead of us acting as if that's just only something that a few really weird and trashed out people have to deal with, you need to, as a Christian who reads your Bible, you need to hear what you hear and understand from what you know of the Scripture that even the Apostle Paul himself had such thoughts. I'm, I get very disturbed in my spirit when I hear preachers or I hear so-called Christian friends lecturing on the subject of how uncommon and how pitiful it would be for someone to even allow such thoughts to enter their mind. I just want to say, dude, would you just read your Bible? Would you just look? David, Jeremiah, Paul himself, it doesn't mean that they were going to go out and stick a sword in their heart or jump off a cliff. It doesn't mean that they would follow through on those things, but they were just meaning from the finite perspective that we have, where it can look like we are locked into a situation and there is no way out. And Satan himself, who is the one who presses death, works in on, leans in on believers to try to bring discouragement to, the, to an exponential value that just overwhelms us, that we're just thinking, I don't know that I can do this anymore. What I'm trying to say is, you're not alone. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's not something that is uncommon, even to Christians, even to the Apostle Paul himself. The word, we, we, we were, it was over, our, there, he, he lists the progression of how he got to that place. Here's an affliction. We don't know whether that's a word that can mean physical oppression or physical sickness. It can mean demonic, emotional oppression. The, the word affliction is used to describe all kinds of conditions of weakness in the human being, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it be. We, we don't know exactly what this is, what it was for Paul, but he says that we were burdened excessively. This was a weight on us, or in speaking of himself autobiographically, it was a weight on me. It was heavy. It was crushing. The load was crushing. Now, folks, you can handle something for one week. You can handle something for maybe a month or two. But when months turn into three or four months and those months turn into years, there can be a sense that settles in on the human heart. Is this ever going to end? And can I take it? We were burdened excessively. And then he says the next part was it was beyond our strength. It was not just a heavy load that was there, this load was so heavy 
that it was crushing us. It, 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 I couldn't lift it. The burden was beyond our strength. And then the result was so that we despaired even of life. Didn't know if we would live through it. Indeed, verse 9, we have the sentence of death within ourselves, and then he gives this statement. I want, everybody, I want you to, if you saw that first part, please read the rest of the story. Burdened excessively beyond our strength, so we despaired even of life, so that, in order that, we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He, look at this, he on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. And you also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our, on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. I want to back up. If this is you, or this has been you, and the Lord's saying to us today, trust me, even when you don't think you can go on. Notice what Paul is saying. He registered. He brought it out into the light. He wasn't denying it. He didn't hide it. This was written, and here we are 20 centuries later, and we're still reading it about Paul, about this chapter in Paul's life. If we walk in the light, folks, as God is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, 1 John. The point is, get it in the light. Get it in the light. Get it in the, the first step toward realizing fresh strength and being able to get your wind back so you can go on is to understand the importance of bringing whatever it is that's going on inside you that is heavy, that is beyond your strength, that could cause you even to despair of life. As Paul said, the first step is to get it in the light. Take it to the Lord. Instead of just determining that I've got to figure this out. You see, he says, we, that within ourselves, in order that we should not trust in ourselves, verse 9, but in God who raises the dead. One of the reasons that the Lord will allow such things to come upon us, there's an old saying in South, South Mississippi, which is kind of some of my roots. You gotta break a dog from sucking eggs. You gotta break a dog from sucking eggs. Get a bad dog in the barnyard, bad dog around the farm, and he gets in the hen house, and he gets up in the nest, and he, you gotta break a dog from sucking eggs. And I say, what in the world does that have to do with sucking I'll tell you what it does. Sometimes the Lord has to allow certain things to come our way to break us from trusting in ourselves. Feeling like it's my duty to fix this. It's my duty to hunker down and last it out. It's my duty to make it work. Paul said, here's what we figured out. 
This thing was so big and it lasted for so long and its impact was so intense that we knew we couldn't trust in ourselves. That the only hope was to trust in the God. Now, which God? The God who even raises the dead. So even if this killed me, even if this is my life's worst nightmare, I'm anchoring my trust in the one who even if death comes is able to overcome death, he raises from the dead. Mm. But folks, you, we, we, don't, we don't get to that point if we, if we stuff it, if we bury it, if, if, we, if we keep ourselves shrouded in darkness, cloaked in darkness, the depression, the hopelessness, the sadness, the whatever it would be that accumulates and gets us to the place where the weight, the carrying this weight is beyond our strength. What do I do? Instead of looking at myself, you've got to know you have permission to look up. Because you have those thoughts, because you have those pains going on, because the, 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 the weight of it all is so great, we can think, I must have gotten myself in this point. This must be my fault. God wouldn't have anything to do with me. And here's how we put it. If he really knew how I felt, give me a break. If he really knew how I felt. Is it possible to hide anything from God? Is it possible for there to be something that he doesn't know about you? No. He knows, and he cares, and he has the power to lift you up and out and give strength back to your heart again. But as long as I'm looking this way and as long as I'm looking laterally, we can live with that hopeless sense of this is how it's always going to be. But look at the words again. Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. As if Paul is saying, if we die as a result of the circumstances going on, whatever they were, if we die as a result, all hope is not lost. It is not all over because the trust, we put our trust in the God who raises the dead. Death is not stronger than God. He raises the dead. And then, Continues in verse 10, he who delivered us from so great a peril of death, he's given the testimony. It didn't happen the way we were afraid. It didn't end the way we thought it could have ended. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death will and will deliver us. And then this awesome statement, he on whom we have set our hope. Child of God, brother or sister in Christ, you're at that place where you're wondering if you can keep on. If you can go on and the sense of heart, the sense of, the sense of ability to, to, to surge in the direction of life has just left you, the question is, on whom 
have you set your hope? Who have you set your hope on? Have you set your hope on that husband straightening up or that wife straightening up or that child who broke your heart straightening up or the business seeing how valuable you are or is your hope, is your trust not in any other human being, not in any other person, no matter how close, no matter what kind of family member, no matter how long you work for them, but your trust is not there. Your trust is in the God who even if death comes, still has a plan, still has a way. I want to hold your thoughts right there. Find Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Now this is old Abraham. Abraham, in verse 17, Romans 4, 17. Abraham believed God, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope. He believed. What was he believing? Believing in Rosa. He was believing God. He wasn't believing for God to do something necessarily for Sarah to enable her to be able to have a child. It, it just says he, he believed God. He believed that the Lord had told him of the outcome, but trying to figure out how God was going to do it, he couldn't figure that out. But here's the point. He wasn't he will go on to say that he looked at his own body. Let me just read it. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become the father of many nations. Verse 19. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform. Now, how many nights, days, months, and years do you think Abraham and Sarah looked at each other and said, huh? We are supposed to have a son? Now, I'm not saying anything about you, darling, but when I looked at the mirror in my face, Abraham said, I'm getting older. Now, you, you're just as young as a, you know, as, a, as a morning's rose, but I'm telling you, I'm getting older. What's happened to the promise of God? Glad you brought that up. Would you find the book of Hebrews for just a minute? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, for those of you who are sitting here listening to this, and your life is just a bed of roses, and you've never had any nose in your life, and you've never had anything, any rugs yanked out from under you, and you've never had your heart broken by people or circumstances, situations, then, then you're just going to probably be bored to death with what I'm talking about here. But if you've lived very long and you've lived honestly and you hadn't drowned your sorrows continuously in booze or drugs or, or flipping from one relationship to the other, and it is settled in on you that there's sometimes parts of living in this life that can create a burden that's greater than our strength to be able to carry it. And that if we let those things compound and time goes on, we can eventually reach a place where we wonder, can I keep doing this? Do I want to go on? If you honestly 
have realized that about yourself and about your circumstances, then these kinds of words are incredible hope. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And then this, this profound verse that rocked Martin Luther's world, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we are of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. It never has been, except in a few rare occasions it seemed like, that the Lord gives a promise or the Lord plants a dream and the next day you wake up and everything is in, in complete fulfillment. There's often a progression it's often the passing of time. And Paul would address that in this way. A part of the reason for the passing of time and the delay and the reason things don't work out so quickly is that God wants to fix it so that we're not trusting in ourselves anymore, but we're trusting in him. Abraham and Sarah got way past the years of bearing children, and yet God's promise was still intact. And this verse is saying, that which was promised will come on the other side of your having finished the season of endurance in your life. You say, well, how, you know, I mean, that, that doesn't sound like much of a life, that it's all about endurance. Why, where, where's, the, where's the joy of the Lord? Where's the happiness? Where's the blessing? I'll take you back to passage that we spent a good bit of time on. Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my load is light. As the Lord is saying, trust me. Trust me when you don't think you can go on. At one with that statement, this morning to our hearts, he's saying, come to me. Come to me with what? Come to me with that which is crushing you. Come to me with that which is causing you to be worn out. Come to me, all you who are weary. You remember that from our study a couple of years ago? That's that, that's that present tense. Wearying. Working to exhaustion. Come to me, all of you who are working to exhaustion. All of you who are worn out because of the grind of the routine of the daily structure and the stress it imposes. That's one part. He doesn't say... He doesn't say it can only fit this category of weariness. He just leaves it wide open. 
He's not talking to Sunday school teachers. He's not talking to deacons just. Not talking to pastors. He's not talking to Christians who've marked their Bibles up. He's just saying anybody who is worn out, anybody who's worked to exhaustion, you come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You remember, that is that perfect tense, that perfect passive tense where there was, a, there was something that happened to you as a child, something that happened to you as an early 20-something, something that happened to you back here. But the impact of what happened to you then to wound you, to be a weight upon your life is as real today in certain settings when it comes up. It's as real today as it was then. That's the perfect tense in the Greek language. It happened in the past, but the impact of it is as real and vivid now as it was when it happened. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden something that happened in the past, and I will give you rest. Anybody not know when they're rested or not rested? Folks, there is so much in your Bible that has to do with emotions that it is impossible to accurately deny the truth that the Lord is not just concerned about the objective circumstances of our lives. He is concerned about the emotional well-being of our hearts. You can rest. You sleep, but you wake up tired because your mind has just kept going. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden. And I know how to give you rest. I know how to lift the burden off of you. I know how to in your situation, though you're, you're in the middle of it and you're, you're, you've got your, your job title assigned to the responsibility, I have the ability to put rest in you so that the weight of those responsibilities and the weight of those feelings do not crush you any longer. But it'll never happen if we're trying to figure it out on our own. Paul would say, it came our way. It came my way. This, this season of despairing even of life, it came my way so that I would put my trust in the God who raises the dead. And that I would anchor my hope in God, not in me. Isn't that crazy? How even when sometimes we, we, we are crushed and we are buckled down and we, when we are heavy laden, that we still keep thinking that I've got to fix it or I've got to talk to some smart person here who can give me a formula to follow and I can work myself out of it. How much longer do we stay in some of these places where we need to be rescued from, but we're stuck there because we just think we're the one who has to figure it out? When old Paul is saying, when, when it got so heavy and it stayed so long that I despaired even of life, some way or another the Lord showed me 
that was so that. That was in order for my trust to get off of myself and people and my trust to get on him. And from that place, the Lord delivered him. And the Lord's able to bring rest and peace to your heart. You know, folks, listen, what if, what if, what if the knuckleheads in your life never get their act together? What if the jerks who cause you so much grief emotionally stay jerks until the day they die? You'll find them in the cemetery, jerk, born here, died here. They never change. And, 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 you, and you can feel like you're doomed to live under the influence of the jerks in the world when you're not. You are that if you choose to be that. Face it. Sometimes those folks are more, are more a real God in our lives than the true God himself. Their opinions matter more. Their, their, their facial expressions convey more. We buckle. We, we work, we're just scared to death. We have more fear of the jerks than we have fear of God. Sometimes the Lord can allow that sort of thing to just get so chaotic and so despairing of life, its impact, that we just realize, I can't do this anymore. And then we snap. I'm setting my hope in the God of heaven. I'm determining to believe that he picked me out and chose me because he wanted me. That he loved me before I had the ability to obey a commandment or disobey a commandment. He set his love upon me. And he's drawn me unto himself. And I'm anchoring my hope in the God who loves me. End of statement. That's where I choose to be. And the jerks are going to blow up. The knuckleheads are going to try to come after you and say whatever they would say. If you buckle to them, the tendency is you become like them. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. The ones who quit that cycle are the ones who have turned to the Lord and are letting the Lord heal their broken hearts. So that if you never got the approval of your earthly father, you have the approval of your heavenly father. He's your real daddy. It started with him. Your earthly father is just a middleman. Oh my goodness. Now see, it's your fault that I get to talking like that because y'all say amen at the wrong time. But it's the truth. Listen, folks. Paul said, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. So even if 
The Lord has to take us, allow us to go through these seasons of endurance and these seasons of exasperation and come to the conclusion, I can't do that anymore because he knows that's what it's going to take to get us to turn to him. And that's good. And he knows that's good. You know, and, and, and let me tell you something else about jerks. When you get to the place of not allowing them to own you, to own you, and you realize again and afresh who you are to the Lord of glory, that you're a child of the King, you got your head up, and your heart humble before your Father the King. When you see yourself for who you really are to your true father, then you begin to see the jerks in your life for who they really are. Broken, fallen creatures who need the mercy of God. Something amazing happens when they cease to own us and the Father is the one in whom we've set our hope, not their approval or getting their approval, what, what happens is then we begin to feel some mercy and even some compassion and sorrow and pity for the ones who up until that time could frustrate us, could anger us, could defeat us, could cripple us emotionally now we see the truth, and the truth has set us free. They're just broken people. Lord, show me how to love them instead of, God, their birthday's coming. It'd be just real good if you just struck them down before their birthday. And we call that spirit, I'm praying on, this is righteous indignation. I'm just praying that God will just do it. The Lord said there are two things that he'll never share. One is his glory, and the other is his vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So what if there is a better way? What if there was another way? And there is. Trust me, when you don't think, you can go on. Lord, we praise you for the time together in your word this morning. I thank you for everybody who's listening. Thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for everyone who's a part of the services all over the place. Yes, Lord, by your spirit, will you take these truths deep within our hearts? Will you use your word to bring life? Would you use your word to set captives free? Set us free. Set us free, Lord. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with the sense of your presence in this season of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.